This is Joe Burns. And Chad P. Hey, thanks for listening to the Rock School Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live Thursdays at 5. And Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School radio show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. It's time for school. Rock School. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns and Chad P. So Elvis is a drug, narcotic, federal agent. Sure. Oh, guy. Yeah. He's empowered. How did he die again? Polypharm. Right. Polypharm. That <laughs> means he took so many drugs that his entire body shut down. Technically a stroke uh-huh. is what killed him. Right. He's sitting on the, you know, the throne. Class is in. This is Rock School as we get closer and closer to the Christmas holiday. And one of the big tips that we're getting closer to the Christmas holiday is that I don't have a Christmas cookie in my mouth, but my co-host, just before the microphones open up, crammed a chocolate Christmas cookie into his mouth. My name is Joe Burns. Who are you? Go ahead. Try we'll, poo. We'll wait for you. There You're you are. You're supposed to stall. No, Give no, no. That's fine. that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I want to start today's show by asking you a question and getting you to talk oh, as much as do. you can. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Pick the crumbs off the table and get them into your <laughs> mouth. so good. It really is. It's one of those Giardelli chocolate cookies. That's from our general, general manager. General manager, yeah. So we apparently will be employed after the first of the year. <laughs> what is, Chad P., hmm? this, this is something you really got to kind of know okay what is the most requested photograph from the white house archives now remember this is a rock music show white house archives white house archives happened december 21st 1970 that's when the picture was taken Mm. any idea i don't know did the stones or the who or somebody go to the close close elvis presley it's oh. that famous picture of him with Nixon. Richard Nixon, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, getting the federal narcotics agent yeah. badge. Yeah, like a, a drug enforcer or something. Well, well, enforcer <laughs> to himself because when he got the badge, he was completely lit on prescription drugs. I remember reading about that. Yeah, he was also wearing a cape. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story behind that picture, mm-hmm. and then more stories about people, rock stars, who were anti-drug. All we ever hear about rock stars that take drugs. Or anti-drug, anti-drug. Or they claim to be anti-drug. Some claim, some follow through. are. <laughs> we'll see. All this right. ought to be good. Let me tell you the story of this picture, uh. because it happened December 21st, 1970, so we're right around the time that it happened. Mm-hmm. About a week before the get-together between Nixon and Elvis, Elvis is on an airplane, an American Airlines airplane, and he asks the stewardess for some American Airlines stationery. Now, he's on there with Senator George Murphy, and he's talking about the problems he, Elvis, considers the United States to be faced with. And he writes, Dear Mr. President, first I would like to introduce myself. I am Elvis Presley, and I admire you and have great respect for your office. I spoke to Vice President Agnew in Palm Springs three weeks ago and expressed my concern for our country. You see, he's upset about what's happening with the Beatles. Mm. He thinks the Beatles are a hippie culture. Uh So he says, 
the drug culture, the hippie elements, the SDS, the Black Panthers, etc., do not consider me their enemy, or as they call it, the establishment. I call it America, and I love it, sir, and I can be of service to you. Huh? So he's offering himself to Richard Nixon. So Elvis has nothing to do on this flight no. and decides to, I, I think I'll write a letter to the president uh, proclaiming that I can save the nation. Oh, yeah. So it goes on. He's, he might be a little you know, popped <laughs> on this flight. So I do not wish to be given a title or an appointed position, sir. I can and will do more good if I were made a federal agent at large <laughs> and will help out by doing it my way what? through my communications with people of all ages. First and foremost, I am an entertainer, sir, but all I need is the federal credentials. I am on this plane with Senator George Murphy, and we have been discussing the problems that our country is faced with. Then he gives them all kinds of contact information, how to get in touch with me, son. Yeah. I will be here in town for as long as it takes to get the credentials of a federal agent. Sir, I was nominated this coming year as one of America's top 10 most outstanding young men. That will be in January in my home outside of Memphis, Tennessee. I am sending you also a short autobiography about myself <laughs> so you can better know who I am. Respectfully, Elvis Presley. So he held the city that he was landing in hostage. Sure. I ain't leaving until you That's deputize right. me. That's right. <laughs> and then it happened December 21st, 1970. Jeff Donfield, a White House aide at the time, states he walked into the Oval Office, looked at Nixon and said, Sir... The king is at the gate. Oh, my God. And, of course, Nixon went, what? Because <laughs> when you're a president, a real king could right. be at the gate. Who? King who? King who? King who? King Joffy Jover? The king is at the gate. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened in the Oval Office after this. Because you know what Nixon probably thought it was? What? what? There's a suspicion here. So we can't go on with suspicious minds. Here's Elvis Presley. Rock school. We're caught in a trap. All right, there's Elvis to Pelvis and Suspicious Minds. The king is at the gate. King is at the gate. Are you eating another cookie? Dude, he's got like six of them in here. All right. Where's yours? I, the, I left the tin in another room because no. I like to keep my girlish figure here on the uh, <laughs> here in the holidays. I don't care. All right, the king is at the gate. Now, here's the thing. Elvis arrives unannounced. Mm-hmm. He just just shows up at the gate. Furthermore, you want to talk about yeah yeah. You want to talk about living in a different world. Mm. He arrives at the front gate carrying a World War II commemorative Colt 45 pistol. What with silver bullets? You want to talk about a different world, you dummy? You wouldn't dummy. Can you? How close would you get to the White House today? Not very carrying close. a pistol. You wouldn't get anywhere carrying a pistol. This guy got to the front door. <laughs> Now, obviously, the Secret Service took it away, mm-hmm. obviously that. Now, he's told, sit down. Sit down. We'll see what's going to happen. Now, everybody knows who he is, mm-hmm. obviously, but he's told, sit down. When he arrives, Nixon aide Dwight Chapman sends you know a little note off to H.R. Haldeman, that's Nixon's chief of staff, and says, by the way, Elvis would like to meet with the president and yeah. present him with a gift. So, again... There's a chance he's going to hand the president a gun. Or do something with the gun. (laughs) See, they don't get it up north. That's good old southern hospitality. You show up unannounced, you bring gifts. Oh, yeah. My first week here, a few people came over with a shotgun. They said, here, here's a varmint killer. You understand. Uh, Chapman and Haldeman told 
the president that it would be very good to meet with this young man because he's very pro-Nixon. And besides, he's good with the young people. And Nixon was not good with the young people. Plus he's got a gun. Yeah, plus he's got a gun. So Nixon says, fine, I'll meet with him, but Mm -hmm. write up some talking points. So while... Presley's sitting there. They're writing up talking points for Nixon to talk to this guy about. Because, you know, Nixon does not have a whole lot of Presley music hanging out on, you know, what was the iPod back then? You know, so the you record can't collection. just strike up a conversation. You got to be, hello there, son. Let's This is chit-chat. Richard Nixon. <clears throat> yeah. How are you? Yeah, not real good without the cards, I would <laughs> wow. think. So Nixon's now armed with talking points. Uh-huh. And one of the talking points he wanted to do was get him, Presley, mm-hmm. to record an album with the theme, Let's Get High on Life at the Federal Narcotics Rehabilitation and Research Facility at Lexington, Kentucky. Honest to goodness. That's what he wanted from him. Well, mm-hmm. Presley you know, pretty much said, yes, 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 as long as you make me a federal narcotics agent. Right. Believe it or not, Nixon knights him, deems him a federal narcotics agent, and gives him a badge. Right, I got a badge right here in the drawer. No, he went and got a badge. He really did. He had one sent over. Gave him a badge. Also gave him uh, presents for his family, Uh earrings and brooches and things like that, for, you know, Lisa Marie and things like that. And then the famous picture was taken. Now, there's numerous pictures. The one everybody knows is just one of a slew of pictures that were taken of the king and the president together. But that's the story behind it. And then he leaves. The, The... the gun stays behind as a present, but was never actually handed to the president okay. at that meeting. But he leaves and is an honest-to-God federal narcotics agent. Did he walk around flashing the badge like, you know, FBI Presley Believe it on or the not. job? Believe it or not. And all of this is available online. You can see all the, the pieces of paper flying back and forth between chiefs of staff and all that kind of stuff. Unbelievable. And that's the story behind the Elvis Presley Richard Nixon photo. There you go. Elvis Presley, treat me nice. Rock school. When I walk through that door, baby, be polite. You gonna make me so. So Elvis is a drug, narcotic, federal agent. Sure. Oh, guy. Yeah. He's empowered. How did he die again? Polypharm. Right. Polypharm. That means he took so many drugs that his entire body shut down. Technically, a stroke uh-huh. is what killed him. Right. He's sitting on the, you know, the throne. Mm-hmm. He's the king. But uh, polypharm is what actually did him in. His entire digestive system shut down, and he became so impacted, his body just shut down. Hmm. Polypharm is what actually killed him. Moving along, let's talk about some other artists who claim that they are truly anti-drug. Are I you? I can't think of any. Oh, I, I got a <laughs> Are you familiar with Ian McKay? Yes. Of Minor Threat and Fugazi. Yes, sir. Right? He started a movement, and he claims he never wanted it to be a movement, mm-hmm. but he started something called Straight Edge. Straight Edge. Right. Yeah, and that's... You, you got to kind of be a punker to know what Straight Edge is. You ever heard of it? Yes, I have, and you're going to laugh because it's being used as a gimmick by a professional wrestler. Oh, is it Whose really? name is CM Punk. Oh, he great. is Straight Edge. Here's the thing with straight edge. He also is credited with coining the term. It's an ideology that completely eschews drug and alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. In fact, 
none whatsoever. But McKay takes it even further. He states that he doesn't do any drugs, Mm -hmm. any alcohol. He also states that his belief system moves into vegetarianism Mm -hmm. and celibacy. Wow. Yeah, he has moved into, he says that sex and drugs and rock and roll should completely be nothing Mm. straight away. Mm. He believes that the whole thing is gone. In fact, his statement is, and I grabbed this off of Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't beep, but I can think. Okay. Well, okay, I don't do two of them, (laughs) but I can still think. Right, right. So here is a 45-second piece called Straight Edge from Minor Threat. It's got curse words all the way through it, but I've gone in and cleaned it up. And if you can listen to the words, it's punk. Da, 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 da. If you mm-hmm. can listen to the words, it explains it all. So 45 seconds from now, we'll see in a minute. Here you go. Ian McKay, Straight Edge, Minor Threat, Rock School. Well, there's the whole concept of Straight Edge wow. in a 45-second minor <laughs> threat song. I can think. I don't do any of that other stuff, but I can think. Okay. Well, good for you. Have mm. a nice time thinking. Right. Um, we have also here for you a uh, an Ian McKay song called No Surprise by Fugazi. Fugazi, yeah. And yeah, we'll play that at the end if we don't have enough time and if mm-hmm. we run out of time we'll play that but i want to go on and give you a couple other people henry rollins no oh, yeah the rollins yeah. band right and black flag and uh-huh. black flag's what i also bought because i'm a liar that's right B-b-b. this guy has been anti-drug from the beginning which is really weird because when you look at him you're positive this guy does everything has in the medicine to, cabinet. has to covered in tattoos plays barefoot on stage sure something's got to be going on he has done a series of anti-meth anti-heroin psas and just has been absolutely anti Meth from the beginning. <laughs> Henry Rollins, completely anti drug. Here's Black Flag, TV party, rock school. There you go. There's Henry Rollins out front of Black Flag and TV Party. Want to hear something interesting about that song? Sure. TV Party. I went to this thing. In the world of academia, we're expected to publish. We're expected to create these high-end, very intelligent papers. Show how smart you are. Oh, paper. yeah. There's this thing called cultivation theory okay. that believes that if you watch TV, in fact, if you attend to TV too much, you will start to believe what you see on TV is the real world. Huh. Yeah. It, the theory goes that if a, a lady watches the news and the news shows nothing but horror and death and rape and all that... She'll believe that if she opens her door, that's what's outside. So that's what happened. That's it right there. Okay, I go to this thing, this this national conference, and we're all in our suits and ties, and everybody is, you know, drinking, you know, chilled water, and we're all there. And this young lady stands up there, and she's in front of all of these high-end academics, and she says, I'm going to talk to you about cultivation theory, but first, here's TV Party by Black Flag and Henry Rollins, and she plays this song, (laughs) because it explains, there's a line in there that says TV news show show what's on out there and it's a scare and she uses that so all these people are out there you know we only listen to Bach and Beethoven and all of that and here's the Rollins Rollins up there and I'm sitting there thinking to myself this is great 
right. <laughs> Hello, KLSU. Thanks for running the radio show. Hello, KSCL in Shreveport, Louisiana. The entire city is drug-free. That's true. I knew that when I woke up through there. I couldn't get an aspirin. I had a headache. It was really bad. Get us on Facebook. Search Rock School Radio Show. We love to watch the number go up week after week. Back in a minute with more rock stars who say nope to drugs. They follow Nancy Reagan. Rock School. This is Rock Schools. We talk about rock stars that are now vehemently anti-drug. And I say now vehemently anti-drug because some of them were actually vehemently pro-drug beforehand. Charlie Daniels was pro. He actually was. Long before he became a poster child for the conservative movement, Charlie Daniels was a huge fan of Mary Jane. Yeah. Yeah, he liked marijuana. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, when they think of um, Charlie Daniels and things being nasty about him, they go back to the devil went down to Georgia. Sure. I done told you once, you son of a Mm -hmm. gun. Mm -hmm. There's the clean version and there's a dirty version. Oh, he curses in one of his songs. How could he let that happen? What does he do in concert? That's nothing. <laughs> Think about the song Uneasy Rider, where he's talking about driving out west in uh-huh. his old car with mag wheels, where he says, I'm digging on the radio, token on a number and digging on the radio. Yeah. And then this one we're going to play, Leave This Country Boy Alone, where he says, um, I don't want something from you, but I will take another toke. <laughs> I mean, wow. he's got two anthems yeah. that are talking about smoking marijuana. Yeah, yeah. But now he's vehemently anti, so it shows that you can you know, come to a screeching halt. I saw him live. I took my dad to go see him uh, in Mississippi a couple of years back. We actually acquired some backstage passes and yeah. went and met him. I had an LSU shirt on. and they how, were was, gonna... how was the audience? The audience was great. Conservative audience or was there some perfume in the audience? There was a little bit of perfume in the audience. A little bit of perfume? A little bit. Yeah, so a little bit. But some he... of the audience hasn't followed him just yet? No, no. They're still hanging on to that past. But oh, I he, see. He did Devil Went Down to Georgia and sang the clean version. Although the audience was singing with him, and they chose to go the other way. Oh well, so it was. A, but it was a great show, and that man can play. Sure can. He's ageless. Well, he seems to be. Seems to be. But right now, the poster child for the conservative movement. But this is back when he was the long-haired country boy, and he wished to be left alone. Here's Charlie Daniels, Rock School. This is Rock School as we talk about those who are anti-drug and maybe at one point in time were pro-drug. As a matter of fact, right after seven days and 70 seconds, I've got one that was massively pro-drug and has since flipped around. As a matter of fact, when you hear his voice and his name, you're going to go, what? This guy has stopped? Monday, December 13th through Sunday, December 19th. I'm Joe Burns. Chad P. has got that Monday. Let's do seven days and 70 seconds. Go. Monday, December 13th, back in 1975, the lead guitarist for Blink-182, Tom DeLonge, is born in Poway, California. Happy birthday to him. Tuesday, December 14th, 10 years ago, country performer Tim McGraw undergoes an emergency appendectomy at a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. Wednesday, December 15th, back in 1977, the Sex Pistols 
Bowls, I had a glitch in their paperwork, denied visas to enter the United States, because they were supposed to play that Lorne Michaels show Saturday Night Live. And couldn't. December 16th, that's a Thursday back in 1960, George Harrison is deported from Germany while performing there with the Beatles. Why? Underage. Yeah, that'll do it. Yep. December 17th, back in 1969, there were wedding bells on the Johnny Carson show as that unmade bed, Tiny Tim, <laughs> and Miss Vicky tied the knot. They did. Uh, you can catch that on YouTube. You can look it up. Saturday, December 18th, 10 years ago, influential music magazine Melody Maker publishes its last issue. And then finally, Sunday, December 19th, 1974, Ron Wood joins the Rolling Stones. So who's the guy we're talking about? Who are we talking about? Johnny Lydon, otherwise known as Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols. Are you serious? Is now vehemently anti-drug. How can a guy whose last name Rotten be clean? Well, he actually wasn't clean for a long time, but what actually turned him around was the Sid Vicious tragedy. Sid Mm. Vicious died of a drug overdose and was probably... I say probably, responsible for the death of his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, but never remembers driving a butcher knife literally clean through her. I just forgot about that. Uh, yeah, because he was in a drug-induced haze. No mm-hmm. one really knows who did it. Some people say it was one of three people that were in the apartment that night, but most people, and the person who had the best shot at doing it, was Sid Vicious, mm-hmm. but probably did it in a heroin-induced Haze and didn't remember it. And this, after his death, uh, his Sid Vicious's death, this turned Johnny around. And now he's been making public statements that Pete Darty is going to go the way of Sid Vicious. So this guy's going all Dr. Phil on us. He's not only stating that he shouldn't be on drugs, he's now Dr. Philling all over other people. He's made the statement that, quote, only egotists take drugs and that he is now a genuine person. He loves family. He loves kids. He loves people. He doesn't like tortured drug addicts and doesn't want to be one. There you go. Well, look at him. There you go. he's sweet. So Johnny Rotten is now an anti-drug crusader. Go figure. Here's pretty vacant. Sex Pistols. Rock school. That's Johnny Rotten out front of the fine people, the fine, fine young men of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, okay. right. Now, Look, if you're going to change your whole attitude on life and be yeah. all loving and smell the flowers now, yeah. you got to change your name. Because who in the world wants to monitor themselves after Johnny Rotten? Well, I want to be like Johnny Rotten. That's who he's known by, you know. If he started calling himself John Lydon, <laughs> yeah. eh? everybody would start going, John Lydon. Don't you mean Johnny Rotten? So you might as well keep it anyway. Hmm. That's a guy who was a drug user and got off of them. Here's somebody that was not a drug user and then got on to them. Oh, I know lots of those. James Brown. James Brown don't do drugs. Oh, uh, well, not anymore. He's he's since passed away. He but, didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a myth. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got one of those Gary Busey mug shots where his <laughs> hair is shooting off at angles that only, you know, geologists and people who understand geometry can actually measure it's with very expensive instrumentation. Publicity gimmick. No, I don't think so. You know, by the late 70s, he was suffering from drug addiction and, of course, by his death in 2006, had some really 
nasty public drug and alcohol fueled events, you know, where he, he had people chasing him over state lines and high speed car chases and all that. I don't like to hear that because I really, really enjoyed his material. However, however, well, there's a however. During the 1960s, James Brown, when he was still the hardest working man in show business, was anti drug totally. He recorded King Heroin, which was an anti-drug song. Furthermore, he was so anti-drug that if his band members were found doing any kind of drugs, he fined them, oh. charged them money. Hmm. He also charged them money if they missed notes during the concert. <laughs> he really did. It was something like $100 for every mistake they made during the concert. That's funny. But if he was, they were found doing drugs, he fined them, charged them money. And if they were found doing drugs um, some number of times, he fired them. Yeah. Yeah, and then he himself got caught up in the in the whole drug thing. So for a while there, James Brown was completely anti-drugs and then himself got caught up in it. It happens. Yeah. You know, it happens. Here is James Brown. I've got the feeling. Rock's cool. James Brown on Rock School. I wish you wouldn't have told me that. I'm all upset now. Yeah, well, he. you can go and look it up. Just go into Google and do an image search on James Brown. Mm-mm. You may get the image of him with the cape, you know, where he pretends to be hurt coming off stage and throws the cape off and goes back to the, to the microphone and all of that. You may get that first, but more than likely, you're going to get that. You know how many people have it? Glenn Campbell has that mug shot. Gary Busey has that mug shot. Um, I'm trying to think of which. There's the mother daughter country singing group, and the daughter has that mug shot. The Judds. Yeah, the Judds. When you get that mug shot, there's nothing you can do. That thing just kind of rules the internet. You got a mug shot? No, I don't. You know, never been arrested. Huh. Never. The closest I came was when I decided to um, drive into SeaWorld. There's a SeaWorld right where I grew up, and they had set up like 200 like orange cones. And I thought it would be cute to drive up the hill where all the cones were and take my car and knock every one of them over. When I got to the top of the hill, there was a cop car there. Yeah, oh, me. that's how brilliant I was at 16. <laughs> so he made me get out and set every one of them back up. <laughs> Hello, Radio Universe Dad, Salamanca, Spain. How are things over there? Thanks nice. for running the radio show. Hello, WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. Today's forecast, flurries, lots of them. Yeah, I'm telling you what. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken up that way, football stadiums are collapsing. Yes, sir. Yeah, they are. Back in a minute, Rock School. got time for a few more here on rock school some people who are adamantly against drugs janet jackson is completely against drugs now you're hearing a lot more from her because of what happened to her brother yeah. of course uh, jermaine yeah. no michael of course talking about <laughs> michael jackson uh but what most people know about her is even before michael jackson's overt drug use became so public is that she released an anti-drug song called Black Cat 
Remember that? Nuno Betancourt was playing the rhythm on it. Jelly Bean, can't think of what his last name is, but his nickname is Jelly Bean, plays the lead on it. Mm. A lot of people thought that was done by Eddie Van Halen when it first came out because Michael had Eddie Van Halen do the lead on Beat It. Right. But it really wasn't. Jelly Bean was his, his first name, and I can't think of it as his last name. Benitez sticks in my head, but I don't think that's quite right. Jelly Bean will do. Yeah, Jelly Bean will do. Look him. Look up Jelly Bean, and you'll find the guy. But the rhythm is done by Nuno Betancourt of the group Extreme. Right. Um, the reason she's so anti-drug and was so anti-drug is in 1984, she eloped with James DeBarge. Remember the group DeBarge had a bunch of hits. Uh, the big one they did was uh, Rhythm of the Night. And then L. DeBarge was the lead singer, split and did a, a song called Who's Johnny? No. I'm trying to remember, remember what the movies were. It was about a, a robot. Uh, and Who's Johnny was a number one hit. Oh, off of man, it. that's Short Circuit. Short Circuit, yeah. And uh, But she didn't Who marry L. DeBarge. Johnny? That's right. Bam, bam, bam. No, she I didn't remember. marry... Uh, L. DeBarge, who was the lead singer, she married one of the other DeBarges named mm-hmm. James DeBarge. Well, the problem is, guy was a drug addict yeah. straight away. And apparently was very hush-hush, but when she divorced out, she apparently wrote this song, Black Cat, for him. And if you listen to it, it's all about telling lie after lie after lie. And the fact that if you keep this stuff up, you're going to stick the needle in your arm one too many times and you're going to die. This is why you don't marry a musician or a singer. Because if <laughs> things don't go right, they go off and write a song and it becomes a hit. Yeah, and they tell all about it. Do you know that that No Doubt song, Don't Speak, Yeah, she dated the bass player? And they broke up, and oh, during her grieving period, because they were together yeah. for a while, she wrote Don't Speak, and it became a number one hit. Yeah, I'm surprised. How do you feel that guy feels when he's on stage having to play it? Well, I, you know, I'm surprised anybody would actually date Taylor Swift anymore. <laughs> you right. Yeah. yeah. Here's, yeah. here's Janet Jackson and uh, somebody named Jelly Bean. I wish you could come up with his last name. Rock School. All right, we ran to the computer. It's not Benitez. I could have guessed that, dude. Johnson. Johnson. Jelly Bean Johnson. Janet Jackson jamming there with Jelly Bean Johnson. That's a lot of J's. How about in there. that, Joe? Just for fun. Doc, yeah, sorry. there you are. Okay, last break of this here show, and I got three left. Uh, I was going to talk to you about Morrissey from the Smiths. I brought along the more you ignore me, the closer I get. Apparently, he was into prescription drugs uh, to combat depression. Apparently, he was bullied a lot when he was a kid, which mm. would explain a lot of his music now. Do you have a, a Frank Zappa story in there I do, also? as a matter of fact. I can end on Zappa if you'd like. Well, it's up to you. I just I thought that I heard you mention him off mic, and I was kind of interested in hearing his story. Okay, sure. Uh, now he says he doesn't, he, Morrissey, says he doesn't take uh, doesn't take, it, take drugs at all and uh-huh. has made a whole bunch of anti-drug short films. Well, good for him. Uh, Ted Nugent. <laughs> a lot of people thought he was into drugs because he was part of the Amboy Dukes. Remember they had the single Journey to the Center of Your Mind? Mind. It was a drug song. <laughs> I mean, come on, it was about LSD. And to this day, he claims he didn't know it was about drugs. Uh-huh. Come on. Come on. Come on. We're not uh, that dumb. During the 70s, he was notable you know, because he would constantly state... No drugs, no drink, no tobacco, mm-hmm. no marijuana, which was really rough during the 70s because that stuff was just not only accepted, but That was encouraged. a way of life. Yeah, yeah. That's what you did. But now he, to this day, still doesn't do it. And like you said, the one we're going to end on, Frank Zappa. I brought along one from my favorite Zappa album, You Are What You Is. He 
stated that he had tried marijuana, or as he called it, cannabis, a few times, Mm -hmm. but it just didn't do anything for him. Mm -hmm. And besides, he says that, quote, people who use drugs are simply blank. I don't know which part of this word to say. (laughs) Blank blanks in action and has nothing but disdain for people who use them. Wow. Doesn't like it. He says (laughs) he's always been Uh anti-hippie and has wondered what in the world you are rebelling against. I love Frank Zappa. He said, if I took away everything that you claim to be rebelling against, you would rebel against the fact that I took it. You just need something to rebel (laughs) rebel against. against, Uh Even though he is uh, completely anti-drug, he's been a life lifelong smoker and a lifelong huge coffee drinker Mm -hmm. so you know rebel against what you want but he still was a big fan of smoking so anti-drug though couldn't Mm -hmm. be in his band if you did any kind of drugs and a few people really challenged him on that so that's what we'll wrap up on and the whole thing got put together because of that great elvis presley photograph with Nixon right at the beginning. I just wanted to round out the hour with that. We'll end with Doreen, just a straight-ahead good rocker from Frank Zappa. My name is Joe Burns. I need a cookie. You do, as a matter (laughs) of fact. In fact, next week is our Christmas show. What is your name? Chad P. Class is dismissed. Dismissed.